we finish uh, our time with the fruit of the Spirit, um, we are going to focus on self-control. So I want to invite you to think with me this morning um, about three buckets or categories uh, that I think will help us as we try to unpack what does Paul mean by self-control. So those buckets are freedom, uh, they are desire, and authority. So uh, we're going to hang out in these. Of course, these overlap and spill into one another uh, a lot. So, um, you know, you can maybe try to bring some distinction to them, but they, they cross over a lot. So let's pray and we'll, we'll jump in. Father, we're grateful for this morning, a place to gather all the ways that um, you're at work in our lives. And we do ask that you would help us to have um, as close as we can get to understanding of what these fruit are that the Spirit can bring into our lives, that we might live them out. We ask specifically for self-control, this concept this morning, um, however we engage that in our own lives. And we just ask for your Spirit to, to speak to us and minister to us in Christ's name. Amen. So in a basic sense, uh, I don't think there's probably a whole lot of confusion on, on self-control. It, it denotes power. Um, lordship, control, and rule over oneself. Uh, last week, Pastor Steve talked about gentleness and um, I, you know, the, the idea of a horse that's, that's broken, so that's a little bit involved. Um, Self-control includes discipline and restraint, right? Discipline and restraint, people's favorite topics in our culture. My question... Uh, Working on this, and hopefully we can help answer it this morning, is what, uh, what is it that Paul imagines when he talks about self-control? So if you survey the ancient world and, and then also today, like definitions of self-control, what it is, where it comes from, what should be happening, well, how does Paul uh, imagine it and use it? And when we see it in stuff Paul writes, should we just assume like he means what we mean? Uh, is that what, what Paul's doing? I believe that when Paul talks about self-control, and if you want to leave here after this is, it doesn't get better than this statement. So permission to just pack up. The Broncos game's probably over anyway. So um, I believe that when Paul talks about self-control, what he means is to have the part of us as a believer that's empowered by the Spirit, controlled by the Holy Spirit, to be given control. So self-control is to give something else self-control. Uh, the lordship of self is not given to self. Are you with me? Okay. So the lordship... Did I hear crinkling of candy paper? <laughs> or did someone bring their own? Their own candy? Um... So the lordship of self is not given to self. For Paul, it's actually given to Christ. And the control of self is a submission to Christ and the work of the Spirit in our lives. It's over and against the desires, the default of the human heart, which Paul calls the flesh. And he doesn't mean our fingers and toes and, and ears and nose and that kind of stuff. For Paul, the flesh represents, that's a whole thing that's wrapped up with sin and desire and broken humanity. 
So in your Bibles, when Paul talks about the body, that's one thing. When he talks about the flesh, that's a whole nother thing. And self-control is our submission to Christ, the Holy Spirit working in us over against our flesh, our default desires, the posture of the human creature that me, myself, and I at all costs, right? That, that's our default posture. And Paul, uh, as we've seen through the fruit of the Spirit, is saying, no, no, a person who is now captured by Christ has made that commitment. Their lives take a different posture. The heart starts to, to shift. Uh, I go uh, occasionally to a discipleship group on Sundays led by Nicole and Josiah Kilpatrick and Brent and Julie Hogsett. It's really, really good. If you're not in one, you should come there uh, and have conversations. But we kick around the last eight or nine weeks about the fruit of the Spirit and lots of good comments about uh, how it's possible to act and behave patiently and not be a patient person. Do you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> it's possible to act uh, good, to behave faithful, and to internally not be a faithful person. Are those have nothing to do with each other? No, of course not. The behavior and the actions key and important, but on our own, if you are just going to be faithful, try to be faithful and gentle and patient and kind and self-controlled on your own, by your own willpower, it's just exhausting. It's actually fairly unsustainable. It's a behavior that runs on the wrong kind of fuel. And the question becomes, what good is self-control and patience and faithfulness if at the end of the day I get towards the end of my life and I'm just a frustrated, miserable human creature? but I've been faithful. I really wanted to swear right there. I've been, by my own power, I have not touched my spouse lovingly in 15 years, but I'm faithful to the marriage. Sign me up, right? I've kept the rules. I've been good. I've been gentle and self-controlled and faithful, you know? Um, do you see like maybe something's missing? If the engine is myself, my own willpower, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience. Like we can do some of these things, and as each of the preaching team has said, uh, left to ourselves only by our own will and fuel. I'm not sure it produces what God fully intends for us. So the engine that drives self-control, the fuel it runs on, it's very important. And Paul tells us as much at the beginning of Galatians 5. He begins this chapter by saying, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And then the primary passage we've been working on, but the fruit of the Spirit, the end of the chapter, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such thing, there is no law. That's important. We're going to talk about that. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh, right? The flesh. Um, all that that means, with its passions and desires, 
Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So the first thing this morning, the kind of the goal or the motivation or the core, the center, the fuel of what, what should drive these, uh, the fruit is freedom. Freedom. And this is a big theme for Paul. So to illustrate, uh, Romans 7, a fantastic chapter. Read in your free time, 1 Corinthians 10 as well. But uh, I think we can capture Romans 7 with a little illustration. For the rest of this morning, and, you know, uh, discipleship groups that start at 1030. So um, from now until then, uh, there's one thing you must not do. Whatever you do for us this morning, do not look at my knees. So in Romans 7, Paul lays this dilemma out. This is the dilemma of the law. There's a dilemma that the law creates in a broken human creature. The reality is whether you look at my knees or not, the law is now enslaved everyone in this room. Do you see what I mean? Some of you have already looked at my knees, and there will be consequences for that failure. <laughs> Others of you are you're strong, strong people, and you're very self-controlled, and there's no way. This building could catch on fire and you would not look at my knees. But both groups, whether you've already failed or you are going to live out that command, you are now dominated internally by the command. You know what I mean? You're now enslaved to the law. And in Romans 7, Paul says, hey, you know, thanks to the law, even if you can resist and show restraint, you're still a slave to the law. And you're actually not free. When the law comes in, the law is good, by the way. It's good. It's a teacher. There's nothing wrong with the law, but when the law comes in, it reveals the brokenness of humanity, and it shows that whether I keep the law or I break the law, I'm enslaved to the law. I doubt anyone woke up this morning and said, I cannot wait to grab a peek at those knees. <laughs> If you did, there's prayer in here after the service. <laughs> and I would like the church to pay for some protective services for me. Don't, you know, both groups being trapped and Paul says, well, then what can be done? Right? This is why Paul says, woe to me. I, I do the things I don't want to do. What I want to do, I don't do. There's this, there seems to be this law, this something's at work in me. And Paul lands it and says, look, God's answer, can anything be done? Can anyone help? God's answer is a resounding yes. Through the person and work of Christ, freedom is possible. The question is, how do we get there? And I would say all of the fruit of the Spirit is possible in our lives, but it takes a new default setting for the human creature, a new posture, a new heart. And this, Paul says, happens via the Spirit. Those who submit to Christ and live by the Spirit, catch this, because this is all through Paul's writing, they will be able to follow the law. So don't think, oh, so you're saying we don't have to, no, no. 
They can follow the law and they're internally free from the bondage of the law. Does that make sense? They can obey their parents, but they're also free to obey their parents. They can obey their parents because that's the right thing to do and we should do that and that's the, how it is. But they also are free to internally want to obey. Do you see that move? It's both of those. Paul, just touching on Romans 7, he says, For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. Just before our passage of the fruit of the Spirit are all the nasty things, right? All the, like he says, yeah, all this witchcraft and orgies and gross stuff, etc., and the like. Well, for Paul, that's the fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law so that we can serve the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So freedom, it's a big deal, big deal for Paul. The law is good, it's our teacher, it's necessary, but it's not the goal. It can't set us free. So when we submit to Christ and the Spirit is animating us, this is a fuel, a good fuel that drives our obedience and service. It's no longer duty, obligation, law. There's a new heart posture. This is why people who read through the Bible every year or do daily devotions, that's great. But if they're doing that out of duty and obligation or some sort of uh, contract, if I do this, you won't allow me to be in a car wreck. And if I don't do this, then I'm exposed and I'm vulnerable and you're going to remove your hand from me. And that's a very strange way to relate to the God that Paul communicates about, the God of love and grace. Instead of only acting outwardly patient or kind, I can actually start to become a patient person, a kind person, a gentle person. When my default starts to become more like Christ, those things and, and how these mix and the mystery of like, oh, okay, whoa, 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 hold on. Absolutely. You're six, seven, eight-year-old, 14, 15, 16-year-old, 20, 21, 22-year-old, 30, 32, 35-year-old. At different points in our life, the, remember, the law is good. Don't do it. There is a time in our life, like, don't, don't have friends like that, Right? Developmentally, like be, get away from those people. They're bad for you. They're going to mess you up. That is a good instruction at a certain maturity level and age. But as we mature, as we grow, as we... Very good rule. Like don't, don't watch these kinds of movies. Don't listen to that kind of music. Don't do this. Don't go here. Don't do... Need it. Good. But if you're still operating in that, as you get older, we start to see issues with that, Right? Not that I now do all that, but it's, it's not the point. We're teaching discernment. We're teaching wisdom. We're teaching relationship. So as my default becomes more like Christ, and then the fruit of the Spirit becomes more and more the type of person I am. That's Paul's point. We become these kinds of people 
when our self-control is actually we've given control to something else. If our self-control is just us determining this, forcing this, doing it out of sheer, you can, but where it leads isn't awesome. Second, desire, freedom, desire. The phrase to exercise self-control has a lot of idiomatic equivalents, like to hold oneself in, to command oneself, to be a chief of oneself, to make one's heart obedient, to command one's desire, to be the master of what one wants, to say no to one's body, and so on. And all of these, if you listen to them, deal with desire. Desire. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul, who's, he's always talking about this stuff, writing about it. He says, every athlete exercises self-control in all athletes. To which we say, Paul, you didn't know all the athletes I know. Um, his point's well taken. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body. It's not flesh. It's a different word different idea. I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest, thank you and I, or ESV for keeping lest in the translation, uh, lest after preaching to others, I my, myself should be disqualified. Uh, very interesting. Paul is using this metaphor, the training, res restraint, discipline uh, is not the point for Paul. We just did a staff retreat a little bit ago, and we went to the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs. Um, worth it? I don't know. Um, but man, the discipline and the, rest the restraint and the program and the training that people are under to achieve, not for that, not for that, to achieve what? The goal, to hopefully win a medal at the games. Um, self-control for a Christian isn't for self-control's sake, so that I might be respected, revered, looked favorably upon. You know, if you want just lessons, you know, with our diet, here's how I eat, here's what kind of car I have, here's the kind of control I exhibit in our culture that's a type of commodity, but for the Christian, Paul says, self-control is the result of submission to Christ, and it's for the benefit of others. It's for the benefit of others. If you read through Paul in places like 1 Corinthians 10 and in Romans, uh, his debates about food, what do I eat, what don't I eat, ceremonially, his debates about Gentile and Jew, his debates about uh, festivals and how do we engage that? Always, 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 it's submission to Christ for the benefit of others. You are free, you are free, but when our desires start to get shaped into the likeness of Christ, something also happens. It's not about us, it's someone else. It's the benefit of someone else. And Paul hits this over and over and over. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, I have the right to do anything. You'll notice that's in quotes. So um, it's thought that you know, people were saying to Paul, 
hey, we have the right to do anything. You say we're free in Christ? Great, we can do whatever we want. But Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. Again, in quotes, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. So as our desire shifts and starts to align with the character of Jesus, if it shifts and starts to align with the character of Jesus and it's under the influence of the Holy Spirit, what starts to happen is our motivations shift. What I want, fighting for my rights, demanding that people align with me, is no longer the center. It's a weird experience where we start to be decentered. And like Paul, our motivation shifts and the center starts, it's always on Christ, but it starts to shift to other people, the benefit of others, the restraint and discipline involved in self-control. Those are necessary and good, just like the law. Restraint and discipline is good, but they're not the point. They're not the point. The point and the goal is others coming to know Christ. It's all in submission to Christ and for the sake of the salvation of others. And God, as we know, hopefully, is ultimately about the hearts of people, not just their obedience. Although that's part of it, of course, obedience part of it. The human creature to genuinely desire relationship with God and to authentically start to become like the fruit of the Spirit, that takes submission to Christ. That takes the work of the Spirit in our life. You can imagine a scenario where someone dies and stands before Jesus to give account, and they say, you know, well, I uh, read my Bible every day, and I went to church, uh, you know, fairly regularly, and, and oh, 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 I voted the right way all the time. And I drove a, a, I even switched to an electric car, Jesus. I mean, I, it was an EV. I mean, yeah, I couldn't give it to your church anymore because I spent 110000 on a truck. But, but I, I went clean. I ate clean. Um, I didn't smoke. I didn't chew. I didn't go with girls that do. Um, and you just list and list and list. And in and of themselves, I mean, those things aren't bad things. Are, the, the law is a teacher and it's good, but it's not the point. And I don't think anyone in here wants Jesus to look us in the eye and say, I don't know who you are. We can vote the right, whatever that means, the right way. We can do all the things. We can work hard to accomplish the fruit. But if it's not in submission to Christ and for the benefit of others, what are we doing? Right? What are we doing? Third and final, authority. Authority. Very key for self-control. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is... <laughs> You're like, I'm not sure now. There's what? Knees? Could be. Freedom, right? If the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, then that's got to beg the question. If I am, you know, that's that relational heart check. Like, 
I've grown up, I was born and raised in the church. I grew up in the church and there is times in our life, whether it's in relationship or in the practices of our faith where you have to have that. That's actually a gift of the spirit. The check of like, why are we doing this again? What, you know, I'm like being dutiful and diligent in all of these disciplines and yet I'm becoming more bitter. I'm actually starting to despise God or despise the law. And when that starts to happen, it tells you something about your desire. Something has shifted. It also tells us something about our authority, and there's no way you can get to freedom from that posture. Tim Keller says many good things. Uh, the Prodigal God, I think it was published in about 2008. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend. He writes this, the gospel of Jesus is not religion or irreligion. It's not morality or immorality. It's not moralism or relativism, conservatism or liberalism, nor is it something halfway along a spectrum between two poles. It's something else altogether. The gospel is distinct. In its view, everyone is wrong, everyone is loved, and everyone is called to recognize this and change. Authority. For Paul, there's a connection with the fruit of the Spirit and freedom, but it's all tied up with authority. It starts there. Uh, one of, an author I really appreciate from Australia says, look, the problem with the West, the Western world, is they want the benefits of the kingdom, but they don't want the king. The West wants the kingdom without the king. We want all the fruit of the Spirit, and we want safety, and we want, you know, reform and education, and we want good hospitals, and we want uh, just police, and we want all that, but we just want that. We don't want the center of it, which is by whose authority do these things come as gifts to humanity. Paul says, by the authority of Jesus, who's Messiah, work of the Spirit, and we can institutionalize that and move it out in a culture, but as soon as you say, I want nothing to do with the king, but give me the kingdom. We're left to ourselves. And I think we know how that starts to go. Fruit for death, Paul says. If you're not controlled and submitted to Christ, then the things, even the good things you try to do, they bring death and destruction. Counterintuitively, a person who is submitted to the lordship of Christ, the work of the spirit in their life, their internal posture and desire is one of submission. That's why in your marriage, you are hosed if you're going to try to fix it yourself. It's not going to work because if you are at the center, Paul says, self-control, true faithfulness, it means you remove yourself. True self-control, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, patience in your parenting, in your marriage, in your workplace, in your school, that for that to really come, it means ultimate submission to Christ, work of the Spirit in my life. So a person who's doing that, they find submission and true freedom. When we get our authority right, the desire starts to shift and transformation will happen. And this in turn can lead us to freedom. How these connect and roll out. Let's land here a simple summary definition of Paul's version of self-control. What is it that so, what does Paul imagine when he writes about self-control? 
For Paul, self-control is submission to Christ for the benefit of others. Submission to Christ for the benefit of others. This will bring bring about the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And the fruit for death that he talks about, it just becomes less and less and less desirable. You know, it's just, it's the desire just gets totally drained out of that because we get so locked in to serving Christ and for the good of other people. Let us pray. Father, we're grateful for the gift that you give to us, which is uh, wrapped up in your spirit, that you promised us the presence of the spirit and the power of the spirit. We're not left to our own. And it's not that you have given us a mandate to go and be witnesses and to, to share about you and to teach people about you on our own, as though we have something to um, offer in some sort of fancy package or, or teaching, but rather it's through your grace and goodness, through who you are, um, that makes this possible and that empowers it. And Lord, we do, we truly want to be people who the fuel of um, living these uh, characteristics out known as the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, let the fuel be good for us. Um, We acknowledge that behavior is important and obedience is important and the law is good and it's a teacher. Uh, We want to be people who can be obedient and live it out and at the same time be free internally to love well and to do everything we do for your glory and for the benefit of others. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.